0: I always clap for his songs, never for my sermons. I don't know what the story <laughs> is with that. When I was in college, I had the privilege right away of being able to serve with a little local church in Lewiston, Maine. I'd gotten up to Lewiston a few weeks earlier, but because of football practice, I hadn't been able to get to any of their services. And finally, on a Sunday night, I was able to get over to one of the Sunday night services and... I think just because I was there and they knew I was going to join the church, he, he offered for people to become members, and I indicated I desired to be, and about 10 minutes later, they elected me the youth director. And so I took over right away, beginning to work with the teenagers there. And, you know, um, I had an experience there that it was either that year, my freshman year, or my sophomore year. It's, it's something that I've never forgotten, something I often think about when we turn to this topic of prayer. And we've been talking about prayer here for the last... Several weeks here at Hope Chapel, and you know, um, there was a woman in our church—a a sweet lady, really. Um, that church was located not too far from a housing project. There was another number of people who lived there who were on subsidized housing, and this particular woman and her, and her son didn't have a, a, a car, so they—they they were just able to walk to church. You know, and he came with her some of the time, not all the time, but some of the time. He was a senior in high school, and and she—she she was a believer, like I said, a sweet lady, but came from just a little different bent, if you will, of, of of the Bible-believing part of the church than I did, you know, where where we might ta- talk about faith a lot. She was a little bit more intrigued by the idea of sowing seeds of faith, if you know what I mean, you know, um, where where we we are often much more into understanding the Word of God. She was more into kind of hearing a a word from the lord having a word you know a, a, a word from the lord kind of idea M- more into a little bit about claiming the the promises that god has and and with that ex- actually kind of seizing them if you will the little bit of the name it claim it but she was a sweet lady but her son was really struggling with his faith and he was also coming to a point of transition in his life he didn't going to graduate from high school wasn't going to go to college really needed a vehicle to be able to get a job and so She used a passage much like we read a week ago in our private daily Bible readings from Mark chapter 11, where Jesus says, have faith in God. I assure you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, all the things you pray and ask for, believe that you have received them, and you will have them. And so she used the passage like that to convince her son, and she really her heart was for for God to to honor this and and to have a miracle happen and and his son his faith to be solidified forever. So he began to pray, and he started coming to church more regularly. As a part of that, praying for you know I need the car by Memorial Day because I'm going to graduate just a week later and need to start my new job and he how old, he didn't want an old dilapid one, he'd always have in the garage, but something that was dependent, he was being very specific in his prayer. And she was encouraging me in this journey, and somewhere in my heart of hearts, I felt like a train wreck was coming. And a train wreck did come, because that date came and went, and there was no car. There was no miracle. And and really, you know, I, I don't know if I ever saw, I never ever saw him at church again before, after, until I graduated. And, and I haven't had a chance to be back there very often since that date. and But it was just a devastating experience for him. And many of us that come out of churches like Hope Chapel, we, we kind of resonate with kind of that experience and saying, you know, we need to be very careful when we come to the Word of God related to the promises of God. You know, th- there's a part of you, perhaps like me, where we feel more comfortable. Let's, back. let's talk more about faithfulness. Let's talk more about ministry and service and evangelism and caring for people. Let's talk more about righteousness and being Christ-like. And you know, let's let's get to really know the Word. We 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 want to retreat into all these things that don't seem to challenge our faith, where we really kind of have, yeah, it did or no, it didn't kind of experiences. You know what I mean? And and yet. We understand, even from something like the Lord's Prayer, where God, you know, he's, he, Jesus starts at our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That somehow or another, God has chosen to move the kingdom forward as a result of our prayers. That, that he, you know, somehow or another, our praying that the kingdom of God comes actually has an impact on whether or not the kingdom comes so we struggle with the idea well if we pray wimpy prayers we're going to have a wimpy kingdom but if we pray bold prayers we may land up with some train wrecks and and we feel like we're, we're almost in a place where kind of like the Israelites after they had left Egypt you know God had miraculously deli- delivered them from Egypt they're on the way to the promised land. They look around and they look in their rearview mirror and here comes Pharaoh with his army. You know they, He's changed his mind. He's after them. They look forward through the windshield and there's an ocean in front of them, a sea in front of them. And, and, and it's like, what are we going to do? We're literally between an army and an ocean. We're stuck. And sometimes when we come to issues related to prayer, we feel like we're in a position where we're stuck. We know on one end that we're called to pray bold, you know, you know, big, hairy, audacious type of prayers, you know. And, on the, and, and if we don't, somehow or another, the church is not going to have the power it's supposed to have. Our lives is not supposed to have the power it's supposed to have. But on the other end, we know that we can not only land up with train wrecks where our prayers just don't happen, but also that we can somehow abuse that. We can take the power of God, the promise of prayer, and somehow make it very self-serving. So it just gives to us, and we really kind of find ourselves in that place in our journey. I know many of you have been kind of reading through the Draw the Circle book with the rest of us, and reading the the, the scriptures and the prayer, and 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 we're 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 hearing about and seeing that there's a lot of tremendous promises that God gives to prayer. And in some cases, those things really do happen, and, it, and, and we're struggling with this. Is this what it's supposed to be like for us, or is that too selfish, or is it too worldly, or too material? And we're just struggling with all of this. And, and I just feel uh, uh, not only am I on a journey on learning some things, because i got to tell you, that memory from Thomas Memorial Baptist Church still rings very loud in my ears. You know, what I, I don't want to go pray over Carol Albee for tremendous healing and then have it not happen. Some of you know my, our secretary of 10 years has had a massive stroke of about seven weeks ago working through that journey. I, I, I don't want to go pray with Sean Kelly that he'll, that he'll live to be, a, not outlive me, and yet he's struggling with this gross uh, graft-versus-host disease that's going on in his body as a result of the leukemia and the bone marrow transplant that he had. And yet, at the same time, I don't want to not pray boldly because what if, what if my prayer is a part of the way that God wants to deliver that And you're stuck in the middle. And how do you do all of this? How do we get to a place where we appreciate and embrace, engage the power of God, but somehow we'll always maintain a position where we don't abuse the power of God in prayer? And, and I want us to go back today to the focal text that we've been using for our series, which is Luke chapter 11. I'd love for you to grab your bibles and turn to Luke chapter 11 or grab your cell phone or your iPad or your tablet and click your way way to long Luke chapter 11 or if you use one of our Pew Bibles you'll find our text today on page 880. And Luke chapter 11 verses 1 through 13. Scripture tells us he was praying in a certain place, and that's a reference to Jesus. Many of us this past week in our life groups, is, we made a commitment to pray in a certain place and at a certain time, and to ask God to show us what to clearly pray about. And so he was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, you know, teach us to pray. Just as John also taught his disciples, and so Jesus said, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored is holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. And don't bring us into temptation. He also said, suppose one of you has a friend. And he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a, a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. They don't answer him from inside and say, you know, Go away. Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I, we've already gone to bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't give up, get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his persistency, in other words, just to get him to go away, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking. And the door will be open to you. For everyone who has, receives, and the one who searches, finds, and the one who knocks, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? And these are things that could have been mistaken. So, you know, you ask for something good, and there's something that kind of looks like it, but it's a counterfeit, and it's actually harmful. And so, you know, it, 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 if you're in a position where you'd never do that to your own kid, he says, if th- you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God, just give us clarity in these few minutes to really understand your word and to teach us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, our study in the book of, in, in prayer over these last few weeks has focused on one aspect of prayer. You know, when we did the 40 Days in the Word study a couple years ago, we focused on one type of Bible study, this functional Bible study. But there's all kinds of other types of Bible study that you can do as well. We, we've been looking at prayer, and we've been looking specifically and almost exclusively at the element of petition, of making requests, of intercession, of, of you know many of you like me you learned little acronyms when you were just beginning your journey with the lord you know prayer is supposed to have praise and repentance and you pray for another and you pray for yourself or you learned acts you know it's supposed to be words of adoration and words of confession and words of thanksgiving and then words of supplication where you make your request well we've been looking just at the supplication part we've just been looking at the another or yourself part but i think in order for you and i to be able to live in this place between the approaching army of Pharaoh, the train wreck that could happen, or the ocean of wimpy prayers because we're afraid to really claim the promises of God that he gives us in prayer. That in order for us to be able to live in that no man's land, that place where we engage but we don't abuse the power of prayer, we have to maintain some perspective. And I think those perspectives come from the other elements that are a part of prayer. One of those, the first perspective, as I called it in your, in your sermon, my sermon outline, is that of the way we view God. You know, the Scripture, as you review the, the various prayers that are in the Scriptures, clearly there's a place in our prayers where we're supposed to w- express our adoration, our praise, our worship to God. You know, notice here in our prayer, it says, Pray, Our Father... And Matthew adds, who art in heaven, makes God different already. It says, hallowed or honored, holy, different, celebrated, adored, praised, worshipped be your name. You can use almost any of those words. You know, there's a part of worship when you, when, when you and I pray, if we engage this aspect of, of worship, of adoration to God, it's, it, it creates this a, a, a tremendous change in perspective. We remember who we're praying to. He's not only the one who can answer our prayer, but he also knows what's best in our prayer. It's interesting when I go to when I go to Rwanda. One of the features of their services is every once in a while someone will just break out and yelling "Hallelujah." You know, you just they're singing or doing this, or somebody's moving. You might sometimes it might even just be just before, just end after your sermon, and somebody just yelled "Hallelujah." Now, I'm toning it down because they get the mic and they hold it as close as they can. They turn it all the way up and they yell, Hallelujah, really loud. You know, that's why they don't have any glass in their windows. They just blow it out so they don't bother to put it back. It's just really loud and it'll just go on. You know, sometimes three, four, five, but just really loud. you You know, they don't know any other English, but they know Hallelujah and they just yell it really loud and celebrating God. It's also a place for just thanksgiving. You know, over and over again, you look in the scriptures, there's just a word about but but being thankful to God for the things that He's done and is doing in our lives. I mean, when you think about it, the Old Testament, the feature element of their religious year was the Passover, right? Remembering the time when God had passed over them, when He brought them over, out of the, uh, path, let death pass over them as they moved out of the place of Egypt. And ours, the of the... Focal elements of our services is is the celebration of communion of the Lord's Supper. Remembering what it is that God's done and celebrating that, being thankful for it. And when part of this ability to be able to live in the no man's land is just between wimpy prayers and train wrecks that are about to happen, to be able to live in the moment and recognize and worship God for who He is and be thankful for what He's done. Maintain a perspective about who God is. And all of us have things in our lives, currently, in the past, and, and things in the future that we can be thankful for. You know, I, I, I told the first service, you know, I, every single time I go back and, and I remember the days of, of of, my two boys being born, it just brings a sense of, you know, just no matter how I'm feeling, it just makes me feel better. I try to shut out the memory of the fact that I destroyed the film that I took. And both of those, uh, the, both of their births, you know, I mean, Joshua was born, and you know, he's perfect kid, born on a Monday morning, you know, for that's a perfect pastor's kid, be born on a Monday, right? Gives you all week to be able to recover, you know, and so she goes into labor on Sunday night, he's born on, on Monday, and you know, I'm taking all these photos, this is back in the old days when you actually had film in your camera, right? Well, somehow in my excitement, I I opened up the camera before I rewound the film. So you can just take it and just drop it in the trash, like, so a couple years later, Ben's born, he's middle of the night, he's on like a Tuesday, etc., another good pastor's kid, you know, early in the week, in the midst of a snowstorm, I take all these pictures, so I'm not going to make this mistake again, and I start wrapping it up, and I overwrap it, and it just destroyed all the film, you know. So I've convinced myself that neither one of my kids were very cute when they were born, so it's no big loss, and so it's just easier that way, you know. But but there's just so many things in our lives that can bring a sense of, of thankfulness, and we just need to remember those things. You know, and, and, and with that, we develop a fresh appreciation, a fresh perspective, a renewed perspective on who it is that we actually pray to. And it generates both boldness and humility at the same time. That's exactly what you need to be able to do to live in that no man's land. But there's also some things from our text that share another perspective. You notice it as Jesus is leading them on how to pray. He says, you know, pray, Father, your name be honored as holy and your kingdom come. You're to be celebrated because you do have a kingdom that you lord over. He said, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. Forgive us our sins and do not lead us into temptation. It's a place in our prayers for both confession and the petition for deliverance. You know, I I think we, we have a lot of misnomers about confession today. You know, we, we love the passage in 1 John where it says, you know, if you, you know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and it's a tremendous prayer. And I think a lot of times, though, that when you and I are, are bowing to pray as people who've already experienced the eternal forgiveness that God's made available to us in Jesus Christ. You know, because you know, Christ died once for all, the just for the unjust, for for every sin he's already done. The the legal penalty, the the ramifications eternally, spiritually, of our sin has been totally removed from us by our faith in Jesus Christ. And yet on a daily basis, we pray and we ask God to forgive us. We confess our sin to him. And, And I think there's some misnomers about what that confession is really all about. You know, the word actually means to say along with, to say in agreement with. To confess our sins is not simply to say, "Well, God, I I did this today, and and and, and you're done with it." That that's that's not necessarily what it means. It, it's it's actually to get to a place where we feel about our sin the same way God does. Do you, do you know what I mean? You see the difference? It could be one of these things where you know you're you're. you're a friend of yours or your spouse is just kind of picking at you, saying, you know, what would you do this? All right, I, you know, I'm sorry already, you know. You're not really sorry, you know, but if you get to a place where you know you've really hurt them and you just feel it deeply in your own spirit and you're asking for forgiveness, you, you, you're saying it along with them, you know, and, and that is an aspect of our journey before God that's often minis- missing. We, we can acknowledge our sin for God before God but it doesn't mean that we see our sin the same way God does. And it's when we get to a place when we see our sin that we're actually confessing our sin. We, we start to have a nature like God's that we really can forgive those who have, are indebted to us. That we get to a place where we really begin to be, get to a place where we can stand in the midst of that gap between the train wreck and the wimpy prayers. Again, just try to pull this out a little bit. Some of you have, have journeyed with people who struggle with alcoholism, you know, and we've I've ministered to a few folks along that line. Not had anybody in my tight immediate family that's really dealt with that in, in a significant way, and but I remember one time going to a workshop that was focused on ministering to people who were in this, these addictions, and and I don't remember a whole lot what that was said that day, but this one truth is stuck in. Said so the biggest difference. The thing that you need to keep in mind as you minister to people who are, are addicted to alcohol or addicted to drugs is that they're, they're not drinking to get drunk, they're drinking to get normal. And and as that began to sit in to me, you know, we, we have a person who can go off to detox and they can spend weeks in, in there and they come out and they're totally dry and then it can be a week, it can be six months. It can be sometimes six years, and and sometimes they fall off the wagon. And and we're we're looking at it, and we say, don't they understand what it does? And they can actually probably articulate how it ruins their lives better than we can. But at the end of the day, they see alcohol just differently than we do, because it's a thing to numb their pain rather than to create their pain. And, And that's much like the difference between simply just saying, well, God, I committed some sins today and getting to a place where we really confess our sins before God because we get to a place where we really see our sin in the same perspective as God does and that we know that we need his deliverance. And when we get to that place where we're that dependent, that vulnerable, and that shaped by the presence of God, we finally recognize who we are and who God needs to be in our lives. And when you and I maintain those two perspectives, We can stand in the middle, and we can pray, and we can recognize that it's God's will, and we can say to this mountain, go and jump into the sea. I've asked myself, "How, how how can I tell if I'm sitting in this place? You know, what are the symptoms of having this balanced prayer life, being able to pray boldly but pray humbly? And there's just some characteristics that have leaped out to me, and, and I'm going to share them with you. you might come up with better ones for yourself and and I encourage you to do that but but one of those is just is I ask myself the question, how dependent am I really being on God? You know the little simple to keep asking, you know, give me this today my daily bread it, they're, they're, underneath that it's just r- this fundamental level of the being dependent upon God. but well, we said, why well, you know huh? And then I get to a place where I really interpret that as saying, when was the last time I let God veto something I wanted and just let it go? Just just let it go. Because when you and I are really being dependent upon God in prayer and we realize who He is and who we are, there are times when God's going to veto our request. If you don't believe so, just just look at the Apostle Paul. He's got this thorn in the flesh. He's beseeching God. God, take it away from me. Take it away from me. Three times. I mean, that's three seasons in his life where he really made this the primary focus of his prayer. And God said, nah, I don't think so. And he vetoed his desire. Could have made all kinds of kingdom. I'll be more effective. I can be more, more. Just didn't know. I remember a time when Christina and I were, uh, Joshua had, had been born. He was about six months old. And and we were st- I was serving the church down in Hanover, and Christina was a primary breadwinner in the family. She, she was making a lot more money than I was working for John Hancock Insurance, and she had, she had her medical benefits and et cetera, and there was no way for her to be able to stay home with the boys, with me as I, with Joshua at this point, with me um, pastoring this church in Hanover, this church plant. You know, my salary was about enough to live in a tent, you know, at the local park, and that just wasn't really quite going to work in December, and January, and February, so, you know, and, and so I, I, I got, pr- you know, I, in my heart, I really wanted my boys to be able to have a stay-at-home mom, best way to raise your family, that's, you know, that's, that's the way I felt, and, and out of my sense of love and responsibility for Joshua, you know, and so, I got talking to a few guys about it, and one of the guys who was a leader from one of our deno- denominational networks, he he said, "Well, just give me your resume. I know this church is looking for a pastor, and they have a parsonage or whatever, and you, you'd be able to do that." So I, I gave him. I caught my resume, and it got into the church in Connecticut, and they were so far through the process that they really weren't looking at anything new, and I, I never heard from them, and I, I was just, in many ways, just kind of devastated. And so, you know, few months, few weeks, few months went by, and 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 I got a call. So, well, I, you know, I know a couple of other churches that are that are looking, and. And so if you you know if you want I'll submit your name and, and I got praying about it, and God just said, no so no you know he said I, I, I love your son more than you do, and this is where I want you and just kind of you know not to be overly traumatic, but just like Abraham had to put Isaac on the altar then you know so and 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 there are times when we just have to let God veto what we want, you know um Sometimes we're praying about things that really matter. we got a loved one who's got cancer. we got somebody who's been out of a job a long time, and literally their entire life and their entire life savings is coming apart at the seams, and we're praying and we're praying and we're praying. And do we really in a position where we just sometimes let God say, no, I'm not going to do that? And how do we react to it when it happens? There's also this sense of earnestness where it says seek, you know, keep seeking. You know, and and there's times for me when when, when I, I really have to ask myself, how committed am I really to knowing the will of God for my prayers? You know, when I, when I go over this afternoon to see Terry Ferrara at Framingham Union Hospital, she's going to have surgery tomorrow, at, you know, at 96 with some heart issues, she's not necessarily a great candidate for this surgery, but, you know, she has some blockages in her legs, but and if, and if she doesn't have some of them taken care of, she's going to lose a leg. So they're going to do this surgery tomorrow. And when I when I go over there to, have I really even asked God what He wants in this circumstance? And even more so, am I really committed, maybe over the long haul, to actually figure out what it is that God wants in this circumstance? And. And sometimes it, it just sounds so nice and spiritual to say, you know, if it be your will, Lord, heal them, you know. But some of that it's simply a confession to say, God, I don't want to take the time to figure it out what it is that you really want in this circumstance, so I can pray about it. And pray it with faith, knowing that it is God's will and that whatever we have that we ask in accord with his will, we already have it, which is exactly what first John chapter five, verses fourteen and fifteen tell us. You know, and, and it's a hard thing. I've been in some of those moments you know we we this book we've been reading brought has brought back a lot of memories of the time when we were looking to get out of the school and to get into a place you know when sometimes we get the boldest in our prayer when we know that we're absolutely dependent upon God you know when we we were, we were looking for a piece of property and we literally said, God we want something to be ten acres or more we want it to be on a maiden road, close access to the interstate, et cetera, right on down the list and and there were times and this this experience where we just were right out there, but the reason our prayers were so bold is because we knew it was God's will. And many times, my prayers, maybe your prayers, are kind of flimsy around the edges. It's because we haven't really done the hard work of knowing it, what it is that God wants in that circumstance. It's an interesting journey. Lastly, there's the idea of perseverance knock. Keep knocking. Knock some more. Eventually, that neighbor who's inside the house, who doesn't want to wake up all his own family just to give you three, three rolls, is going to get up. You've got to be persistent. And I wonder some, I ask myself the question, how sustained are my prayers? You know, I, I know that I've got this wonderful balance between who God is and who I am, if I've got those two things in right perspective and I'm looking at the issue of intercession, of petition, of asking God for these bold things, I know I've got it right if I'm really sustained in my prayers. If it's just kind of a fly-by-night thing that's gone. It's, it, you know. And here's here's where I know if I'm being sustained in my prayers. is whether or not God's actually fulfilling the promises in my life that I know He wants to answer. Well, let me give you an example. If I was to be praying, Lord, make me a better spouse, a more loving, godly spouse than my wife Christina. Can you ever imagine God's going to say no to that? God, you know, it's not like God's going. no, nah, I'm going to make you into Scrooge. You know, that just doesn't happen. So if that's not happening to me, then I'm not sustained in my prayer. If I'm asking God to make me more righteous on the inside, and on the outside, and that's not happening to me, it's, it's not like God said, "Well, no, I'm going to make you more sinful." I just feel like doing that today. It's not that we just know what God is up to. He's he's working within us to shape us into the nature of Christ. And if that stuff's not happening, it's because we're not sustained in prayer. I'm not sustained in prayer. I'm not persevering. And I can tell that I've lost this perspective between who God is and who I am before Him. We stand in that no man's land, between the approaching army of Pharaoh representing the fact that the kingdom depends on our prayers and the ocean ahead of us of prayers that just didn't seem to happen the way we offered them and the disappointment and train wrecks that happened. We stand in the midst of that. And maybe we find ourselves just like the disciples today saying, Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. Father, thank you for your teaching from your word. God, I wish I could say that as I stand here tonight, I got got this all down, I got it all mastered. But God, I'm a disciple as much as every one of us here today. God, Lord, teach us how to pray. How to engage the promises that you've given us to change our lives, to change the lives of others, to change our world, but to do it in a way that's always, always honoring to you. Teach us how to pray, God. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.